from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back or welcome to the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford. Here is a rhetorical question for everyone listening. And it is, is that epic race that we're all training for seemingly more epic each year? It's either that or I'm, I'm getting older and that that's definitely the case. <laughs> but man, after watching my athletes race at Unbound this year and, uh, you know, the advent of Unbound XL, seeing courses with bigger stages like Cape Epic or even uh, the recent BWR in North Carolina that I participated in just seems like these events are leveling up their epicness. And this isn't a bad thing per se, but it definitely makes you want to have all your ducks in a row come race day. When you're crunched on time, it's hard to arrive perfectly prepared for everything that comes your way on you know races and events like this. So I thought it'd be good to talk to another coach about some of our recent silly adventures down south and share some tips for anybody swinging big for their summer events this year so that you can be as prepared as possible. So my guest today is CTS coach, Madison Russell. Madison, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah. Thanks, Adam. Uh, awesome to be here. And uh, yeah, stoked to talk about just the craziness of where these events are going these days, because I know you and me both experienced it in a very profound and acute way just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Yes, profound and acute are two uh, great adjectives <laughs> for an event like that. Right. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I mean, for anybody here, you know, watching on YouTube or uh, if, if Madison's voice sounds a little familiar, you've probably seen Madison on some of our other uh, content at, at CTS and whatnot. But Madison, uh, can you just do a quick intro on who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So I um full-time coach with CTS. I've been with CTS uh, for about... It's been six years at this point. Um, time's definitely flown by, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's been awesome. Um, I've been an endurance athlete for a long time. So that's been my whole life, whether it's coaching, competing. Um, it's been about, I think, 17 years, 18 years at this point between running and cycling. Um, full time cyclist now. So, you know, I've competed in road gravel, pretty much everything at this point and work with people, you know, all around the world, across all disciplines. So really seeing kind of a wide range of, of people, of events, of competitions, and yeah, just really soaking up the whole world of endurance sports is kind of my whole MO. So yeah, it's been, it's been an exciting journey so far and excited to, to continue that. Awesome, man. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, this BWR that, you know, I alluded to us doing about two weeks ago, you know, not, not your first rodeo, but I remember, uh, talking with you at the finish line and, and you were like 
sitting down like in the grass and mud all over your face and i was like (laughs) hobbling over to go get like a coke and i couldn't even like bend over because my back hurt so bad but like yeah yeah, i I mean like was that was that thing harder than you thought or was it just me yeah a hundred percent it you know and i think like that's going in you look at it you're like this this looks really hard on paper you know going in i was like okay like i'm gonna have to obviously prepare really well like you know, dial everything in, like, you know, it ended up being, you know, harder than I could have imagined. Right. And, and going in and I've done a lot of, I've done other BWR events too, right. Like done the San Diego race, did it just a couple of months ago. Um, you know, and they always put, put in wild and crazy stuff. Right. You know, and it's, it's always dynamic. It's always, you're on and off, you know, grass switchbacks and then gravel and then road. But yeah, this event, I mean, it's got to be definitely the granddaddy of BWR events. And, you know, I think like as far as toughest events in the country, you know, the announcer kept saying it over and over again, right? You know, you probably heard him as well. Um, It's definitely got to be up there, right? Yeah, definitely a lot tougher than I was expecting um, just looking at it on paper. You know, it it doesn't show you where that difficulty is coming from. You see 13,000 feet, you're like, oh, this is going to be really hard, but you know, you don't see that that's coming from, you know, a 30% hike a bike, you know, for five, 10 minutes, right? You know, you, you don't know where that's coming from. You're not sure exactly what you're getting to until you take that turn and you look up the road and there's a wall in front of you, right? Um, you know, and I think that's kind of what everyone in that event experience was just curveball after curveball of, of really challenging situations and terrain. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, and this isn't, um, I don't know, this is not an advertisement for BWR. We don't have any affiliations, uh, with them. I mean, I I like those, uh, I like everybody involved. I think they put on a really good show. A lot of my athletes do them and they enjoy them. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know what Belgian waffle ride is a bunch of events throughout the country and this one particular North Carolina, like you said, on paper, 131 miles, 13,000 feet of climbing. In reality, it felt like a thousand miles and it was actually, <laughs> and it was actually, uh, 15,000 feet of climbing yeah. and, it, and it was, I don't know, I don't know the exact split, but a lot of off-road stuff and they call themselves, you know, the unroad event. So again, we knew it'd be hard. I thought it was a lot harder because of those curveballs and those curveballs as well was like proper rowdy single track that I would have had a blast on in my full suspension mountain bike. But yeah. <laughs> we're dragging our, th- ourselves through there on, you know, 40 C gravel bikes and stuff like that. So, I mean, right. that's, th- this is the kind of event that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the wild and crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but like I said, I think that it's actually good, you know, cause people want to be challenged, you know, and there was like nothing, um, death defying or something like that. So mm-hmm. The main premise, again, for this episode is, you know, for all of us out there, you know, as the mystique is building and and somebody's friend talks them into going doing this or they hear us like, oh, that sounds awesome. It's like, let's talk about how to like with a good, healthy dose of reality, help prepare people for this thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Because it's it's there's nothing worse than not being prepared, you know, for that challenge. Right. And, And that's. And that's not just preparation in terms of, you know, going out there and riding your bike, right? There's more, 
there's multiple layers to that, right? There's, you know, yep. nutrition, there's hydration, there's skills, there's course planning and, and recon and, and making sure that, you know, you have the plan going in, right. And you've, you've done that plan and training many times before, you know, and I, I think it's, yep. you know, you need that preparation and you need to hit check every box, right. Not just go out there and, and do the, you know, do the monster runs. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say we'll get into the meat and potatoes here, but you know, this, I'd say this episode, this goes for time crunched athletes. This goes for the weekend warriors. This goes for the time rich athletes too. I mean, this is all stuff that everybody needs to hear if you're doing big epic events. So, um, I'd say like, if we can boil it down into a few, uh, a few bullet points, my first one would be for everybody is to get as fit as possible. If you're doing something that's over a hundred miles with thousands and thousands and thousands of feet of climbing. And that may sound obvious to everybody. It's like, oh yeah, uh, uh, fitness, right? Make sure that's high. Yeah. But so many of my athletes, and I hear a lot of people, they, they're stressing out about tires, about wheels, stuff like that. And and, yeah. and and I hope that they go just as deep on the internet about training as they do on tires or something silly like yeah. that. I mean, right. am I crazy in thinking that that should be the first obvious point. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's, it's, it's so easy to get sucked down the rabbit hole now. Cause especially there's so much material out there to digest as far as yeah. tire choice and what are the pros running, right? That's, you know, you get that question all the time. What, what's right. so-and-so running? What's this guy running? Should I do this? Should I do that? It's like, you know, that first step is like having the really rock solid foundation to your fitness. Right. And then you, yep. you kind of, you add, those are like cherry on top type things, right? The like right. extra little layer at the end, you know, and of course you want to test those things in training too, but put most of your energy, you know, most of your eggs in the like, Hey, let's just make sure my preparation, you know, the physiological side, you know, is where it needs to be, you know, focus on the demands of this event. Cause ultimately like you, you, the bike is under you, but you're the one putting the effort in. Right. Like you yeah. have, your body is the thing that has to be optimized the most. Right. Otherwise it's not going to really matter what tire you choose. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, you know, that's kind of the philosophical bullet point. I'd say the, the reality or the real bullet point is how do people get fit? And my question to you is like, what should our listeners focus on? in their fitness program as they're prepping for something like this. And that's kind of a can of worms. And you can say it depends on all right. these things, but mm -hmm. I'd say just from a generality, like what kind of energy system should they be targeted or focused on? Um, and how would you structure some of that? Yeah, for sure. No, that's it. Then that's a great question. I think like first, you know, you want to look at the demands of that event you know, and say, okay, well, what, what exactly am I working with here? What is this going to take for me? What are, what are the zones or the intensities that I'm going to be riding in the most over the course of this seven, eight, you know, et cetera, how many hours it is. Right. And, and for most people, that's going to be, you know, a lot of time at threshold, a lot of time in sort of a zone three tempo, we use sweet spot, right. You know, a lot of people for a sweet spot, and it's going to be a lot of zone two, zone two and below as well. So I think when you look at 
how to structure training for some of these really long endurance events. You want to have a blend of that endurance to, to zone three tempo, but also a lot of that threshold work. I think threshold work has to take um, precedent over most types of work going into something like this, um, because that's really going to inform what you're capable of doing for those longer durations as well. And, and how well you recover from, you know, the 10 minute effort, the 20 minute effort that you'll need to do, you know, the beginning, you know, up the climb, the middle of the course, things like that. Right. So it's, you know, early, you know, as you're, you know, prepping for the season, really making sure that you're laying that foundation laying the groundwork to handle the higher intensity down the road. And then as you get closer, really making sure that you put that emphasis on time at sweet spot, time at threshold, right? And as you get into that sort of critical eight-week window, you make it as specific as you can, right? That's where you're really doing some of those really long rides, you know, some of the bigger, harder threshold type workouts and and building the time intensity out is kind of the, the goal there. It's throughout the season, like the emphasis on time and intensity should increase as you get closer to that goal. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I do think that uh, threshold work, you know, which is using or utilizing the glycolytic energy system, that that's really what I would double down on for anybody training for these events. And what Madison and I are talking about are efforts that feel like a seven or eight out of 10, usually hill climbing in anywhere between, you know, 10, 20, even 30 minutes if you got the real estate for it. Um, but doing a lot of time in zone, repeated efforts like that, that's the structured work that's really going to move the needle for um, preparing you best for something like this. Yeah. And so Madison, you kind of talked, we didn't really talk about like, uh, you know, super hard intensity, high intensity VO2. Right. I don't know. Would you incorporate that at all into a training program or? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a really great question. And that's something that I think a lot of athletes that are training for some of these really long endurance gravel mixed surface events kind of get hung up on is like, do I need to do that high intensity? And, and I think a lot of them just ignore it. Um, you know, but I think, Every type of intensity, every type of training, no matter what you're training for, has a time and place, right? And I think it's yeah. it's determining the time and place for that work based on the ultimate goal that is the thought process you should go go for, right? And so, yes, I think incorporating, you know, high intensity, if, if we're looking at it like VO2 work, right? Maximal intensity VO2 work, right? You know. I think a lot of people like, ah, I'm not training for a crit or I'm not training for a road race. Like, do I need to do this? Um, and I think it comes from like, partly the idea is like, you, you shouldn't really have to do or want to do some of those efforts in a race like that. Right. Because that may mean you're, you're going too hard, right. Or doing an effort that's unsustainable for an event like that. But VO2 max also plays a really important role in how well developed your threshold can be. Right. And so I think if you ignore that work, you're going to spend a lot of time hitting threshold, but ultimately you may just be bumping up against that ceiling. That's not high enough, right? There's not enough room. There's nowhere for you to go after a certain point. And so I think a healthy dose of VO2 work 
um, here and there throughout the year is really key for, for everybody, you know, and, and it's, it goes down fast, right? You lose it quickly, right? And if that is too low for too long, I think your gains in other areas get limited. So I would work in VO2 work and, you know, a good place to do that would maybe be a little bit farther away from the event, right? So maybe not in those last eight weeks where you really want to get very narrow and specific, highlight the intensities you're going to be doing the most of in the race itself, but somewhere in that sort of preparation foundation phase, working in a block of VO2 work can be really critical to make sure that you're going to take advantage of the threshold work down the road. Yep. Yep. Uh, very much to agree with that. And we've, I've had various guests on other episodes where we talk about some of this ultra sort of planning or ultra distance or ultra endurance, working that intensity a little bit further out to get all the gains that Madison's talking about there. So I think that's a very sound and, and logical way of, um, you know, preparing a race specific, uh, training program for that. And one other kind of like little nugget that li listeners can take away with is, you know, we talk about race specificity for something like this and usually like in all the books and stuff like this as we come into a race time period that people are talking about like speed intervals on off, um, mm -hmm. VO two and all this kind of stuff. I actually use something that I, I kind of just call fatigue resistance training, but what it is, is it's taken like a, about the race intensity that you'll use for almost the whole day or long periods of time and doing that out on, you know, out in training. So it's doing yeah. like four hour days with a normalized power. That's probably in people's tempo or maybe like mm -hmm. low threshold and really yeah. just like drilling. It's like steady hard all day. Yeah. And it's very fatiguing. And so you, you don't want to do this the week before, but we're talking four weeks before, cause it is very specific and say your threshold is, you know, 300 Watts or something like this, that normal or uh, so that your tempo would probably be more like 260 or something like that. So a normalized power, uh, maybe a little lower 240. So the normalized power for three, four hour ride around that 240, the perceived effort is just a seven, six or seven all day. And I use yeah. that sort of workout to prepare well for these events. I don't know if you do the yeah. same thing, but yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's, that's something that I do with people as well. And, and I think that can be, you know, that can be accomplished in a number of ways. It's like yeah. building out, you know, high volume, maybe you're doing three hours, three and a half hours, but two of those or two and a half of those exactly. are all sweet spot. Right. You yeah. know, and you're just 30 minutes or 40 minutes at a time and, you know, short rest, do it again. I, I think it's because ultimately, especially in the, in the first half of these races, you're putting in a ton of time in that zone, right? That yeah. sort of zone three sweet spot, your normalized powers. You know, I know, I know me personally, a lot of my athletes as well. That's kind of where it comes out to. And, and I think so building the, the fatigue resistance to that type of intensity is really key. And you look at any number of these guys that are, you know, very competitive within these events, they're putting in a ton of time in that range, you know, just yeah, to train for all sure. the time, you know, and it's, it's because that's where you're spending a lot of time of the race, right? You're matching what you're doing in training, you know, and, and in some cases the training ride probably feel a lot harder than the race and it should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the other piece to work out like that. 
Adam, and, and a big benefit of it is just the mental confidence side, right? Like you have an athlete go and do that. And they're like, oh, I, I can put in three hours, you know, at this range, right? Or four hours at this range. I know what it feels like. I know how to fuel during it, right? And and they carry that confidence going in for sure. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And yeah, because it checks all those boxes, um, with the process of training, fueling, hydrating, that kind of thing. And for some of our listeners that may be confusing, especially if you are always like reading and listening to things that are saying, you know, polarized training is the way to go or, um, you know, don't, you you can't do two hours at tempo or something like that. Actually you can. And Polarize is a great modality and a great method of training, but to get the specificity and the durability needed for some of these events, you, you got to go medium hard for a long time, you know, and, and that's yeah, what I found to be very yeah. successful. Yep. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. It's, it's like the real world practicality half to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, yep. you know, at the end of the day, like you can do as much zone two that you want, but if you ignore an intensity that you're going to spend potentially, you know, 30 to 50% of your race at, then I think you're doing a disservice to being truly prepared for it. Right. Yeah. And, and I think though, again, I, you know, I always go back to time and a place, right? Like, absolutely. We need that polarized model in that, in that zone two time. But I think it also, it, in, in you put that time, it, it informs on being able to do those zone three sweet spot type efforts right and and it it can help you with that but but that's really key right because it just i just love that practicality side where it's like what are you actually going to be doing most of the time or for much of the time that you're that you're racing your bike right yep yep yeah, agreed. So just for listeners out there, just like in summary, a, a workout like that, you can try just starting with like 60 minutes or 90 minutes, somewhere in there of a normalized power of like low tempo and just try to, and it, and it can be squiggly. It doesn't have to be like, you know, on the trainer, super steady. Right. In Probably fact, I would encourage you. It won't be perfect. Right. You no, know, it's, it won't it's be hard perfect. to get perfect. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So I tell my athletes like rolling hills, some flat, add in a couple of hill climbs, mm-hmm. pedal a little bit on the downhills because all that happens like in the in the race, right? Because you're like yeah. trying to catch somebody as you're going down. So like it's just a a mix of everything in order to kind of get that that normalized power over a longer period of time specific mm-hmm. to what you'll likely be racing. So try that for 60 to 90 minutes at first. It's it's a little fatiguing too, so just be wary of that. And then you can build out two, three hours at a time, but it's, it's a cool workout to try. So try it. Um, my next bullet point, Madison is, um, also seems like pretty simple, but I want to, I want to tell everybody to make sure that they show up as fresh as possible on race day. Right. Yeah. Am am I right in that thinking? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I was just talking to an athlete the other day and, and we're talking about, you know, resting and, and tapering. And, yeah. you know, she was telling a story about, you know, her, her husband and he, he got, he had the taper tantrums, right. Where he was like, sort of second guessing, like, I need to do this last key workout, right. Or I need to, I need to do this like big, you know, key workout before this, you know, this event. Right. And I think it's, yeah, it's yeah. easy to second guess that, but I trade a little bit of extra freshness or a lot for a little bit more flatness 
every every time, right? You know, yeah. I, I think and 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 a lot of people that have been doing it a while, I think they'd feel the same way because you, your your experience, you know, trusting your fitness, um, those things are going to show through on race day, right? And like feeling yeah. a little flat, you're going to forget about that when you're you know an hour in and and you're trying to hold the wheel, right? So if you're if you're sort of in that like, do I need this extra super hard session at at the end? You know the you know, I'd, I'd lean toward just more, more of a recovery day, you know, at that point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. And you know, the rule of thumb that I use is once we're seven to 10 days out, there's not much more than we can do other than get more fatigued. So that's when I start shutting yeah. things down, at least for a one day event. And I, I take down volume quite a bit, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe 50, percent, something like that. I keep some intensity in there. I like a little snap if everything's going well. Um, but yeah, if taper, uh, taper tantrums, is that what you used? Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool, yeah. that's a cool. Yeah. Term. I sort of, I actually, yeah, I pulled that. I know I Coop makes that, uh, our, our coach Jason Coopy, I think he, uh, mentions that in his book and, you know, I, I, I kind of pulled that from out there and I was like, Oh, that's a fun, I love that term, you know, it's an awesome I, term. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, and I was the same way leaning into the event a couple weeks ago, even as a coach with the experience, I'm like, wow, I feel terrible. Like what's going on? Like, is this going to come around? Like lo and behold, the day of the race felt, felt great. Right. You know, and yeah. it's, it's easy no matter what your level of experience is to sort of second guess where you're at at that point. For sure. And, and I think to, to that end, I mean, taper tantrum, um, what we're really talking about is just like, you know, anxiety, you, you want to go, you like, you want to move. Cause the, that's a good sign actually, because mm-hmm. you think about everything that you were doing, you're just doing a bunch of training. You're very busy. And then all of a sudden you don't have that because you've reduced volume by 50%. You only have, yeah. you know, you got some intensity, but it's not enough to blow off the steam like you once did. So you mm-hmm. have these emotions that come with a taper and that the taper tantrum is what we're talking about. But intellectually, I would remind yourself, like, if you're feeling that cool, thumbs up, that means you're probably doing it right. If you're blowing out yeah. or if you're like, Oh God, that's probably not a good sign. So take an extra rest day. Um, yeah. I'd say for me, myself, leaning, I just had, there's a lot of things that went unexpectedly and, and it just, yeah. and including like, am I getting sick and all the things. And yeah. my taper was basically five days off the bike leading into BWR. I'm like, I'm going to be stale <laughs> as heck, but it, yeah. To your point, it's like, I've been through enough of this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll take the staleness if that means that I'm going to be closer to hundred percent for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I I think it's that like, you know, I tell people is like, if you're in that situation, just always go back to leaning on your experience, right? If you put in the training and you put in the time, it's like, trust in that experience. Don't be afraid of your fitness, right? You've got it. The hay is in the barn, right? Like, you know, we've all heard that term, like, and, and like you said, it's like, last couple weeks before an event, last 10 days before an event, like, you can't really get any better by the work you put in. You get better because of the rest you're taking, right? That little bit you get from the taper, it doesn't come from any of the intensity you're doing within the taper. It comes from the recovery side of things, right? And and that's the side you, you emphasize. And, you know, to your, to your point as well, I, I think it is good to keep some intensity in there, but make sure that you're reducing the volume of that intensity, yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, okay, if, if on a typical training week or, you know, let's say you're doing three by 20 steady state, right. You know, FTP work, 
Um, maybe the week of the event, it's like, you know, you're sort of, you're doing a three by 10, right. Or you're doing like four by five or just, you know, something to like keep the continuity of the energy system you've been working within, but reducing that time and intensity by a, by a significant amount, at least 50%, you know, if not, if not more. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think I tell my athletes a lot, the goal of some of these taper workouts is you warm up and you do a couple efforts and you leave the bike feeling better than when you hopped on, Yeah, which is the exact opposite of training where you go, you get tired <laughs> and then yeah. you step off right. the bike. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you're completely yeah. blown. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. It's like, feel better. You know, th those are the, the, the sort of openers or what, you know, whatever you're, whatever anyone's term for it is, right. It's supposed mm -hmm. to make you feel better. Um, yep. if you're yep. swinging back the other way towards fatigue, you know, you went too far. Right. And then it's like, just make sure the next couple of days are, are easy, you know, and, yep. and, and recover. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So show up as fresh as possible and get more sleep, take a few extra rest days and just know that that, that is far better than trying to squeeze in a little extra. Right. That's for sure. Um, yeah. my third, I'd say my third bullet point would be, you know, cause we talked about like the single track, we talked yeah. about this steep hill climb at 60%. It wasn't that bad, but a lot of that stuff was properly technical, man. And so my third mm -hmm. bullet point is if you're gonna, if there's a potential to have this technical terrain in there, make sure you do technical training, right? Yeah. hundred percent. And like, you know, I'll be, I'll be the first one, you know, I'm, I'll be the poster child for that. Cause you know, I'm coming from a, a roadie background, you know, for the most part and transitioning into these gravel races and unroad races, you know, whatever you want to call them. Like, like we said at the beginning, they're just getting gnarlier. And usually when we say like gnarlier, that involves more single track at some point, right. Yeah. You know, it's the yeah. stuff that's harder to ride on a drop bar bike and, and I think that's been for me and for a lot of my athletes an emphasis of what we're doing is go actually spend time on that stuff, right? Because if you ignore it and it's easy to ignore because a lot of us aren't as confident on it, right? And especially not on our gravel bike, right? You're like, Hey, like I could rip that on my full suspension, no problem. But when we're out there on drop bars, you know, in a big group of people and, you know, we're on 40 C tires or whatever it is, right? Like I think the the game changes, right? And so you need to go out and, yeah. and practice what you're going to be experiencing on race day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, this is an interesting one too, because this is, I, I feel like between, you know, um, training talks at Leadville camps, um, different podcasts, writing articles, this is something I've been preaching for, you know, 15 plus years, be yeah. it the, you know, the Breck epics, the Swiss epics and, and this kind of, thing. we, we get a lot of people that are super fit coming to these events, roadies, triathletes, mountain bikes mm -hmm. alike. And you come in and it's funny cause you'll have people climbing with you if you, you know, pretty good shape, but then you never see them again until the next hill climb. Cause you know, you get yeah. dropped on the downhill, you see the crashes and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it's like, man, that is 
like work some of that technical skill because it's, it's really going to help you at least like decrease anxiety. Um, but there's also a lot of like good safety aspects of it. And yeah. I, I keep on seeing, I saw it at BWR. I, I see it often, but I think to your point is, yeah, it's pretty easy to not do it when you're not good at it because right. why, why would you do that when you, you know, the majority of the days, right? yeah. it's not enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if you're good right. at hill climbing, you'll probably pick that because you can justify, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to be hill climbing a lot more than downhilling. <laughs> right. Right. No, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's so critical, you know, and I think, think about it this way. It's like, we, you know, I know myself personally, like I'm the guy that like loves to go out and climb and like do the climbing and the fitness part, technical side, maybe not as much my forte. And there's probably a lot of other individuals, um, in the same boat you know, and working with my athletes, it's like, think of it as allowing you to, to harness your well-earned fitness more, right? Because yeah. if, if you're getting dropped because you can't hold the wheel through a technical section, like you're not really going to be able to take advantage of all the fitness that you have at some point, you know, you're going to burn all your matches chasing. Right. And then, you know, it kind of ends up, you, you end up not really finishing where you want to finish because you actually, you weren't able to take advantage of your fitness in the ways you wanted to, right? Because you ended up having to burn, burn all that up. And and I've been in that position before. Right. And so I think it's, it's really, you have to find a way to work it in and there's always ways to work it in. It's like, okay, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to go out on, you know, a day and do intervals, right. And, And maybe that's on the road, like maybe there's an opportunity you know, on the back half of that ride to just go and ride some, some trail right after your interval work, right. Or find a way to work it in. It doesn't always have to be max speed either. Right. Just get a feel for what it's like, just spend time on it. Right. You don't even have to necessarily go in with like this very dedicated skills, practice focus, just go spend time on it. Right. And you'll learn and you'll adapt. You'll find a way to navigate those sectors better just by the exposure piece. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's a great, uh, that's a great way to implement it. Right. Very simple, very straightforward. Just, just go and do it and take the, the air of expectation down a bit, just like get through it right. to level up a little bit from there is, you know, ride with somebody who is a little bit more technically proficient because if you're following wheel, then you can, Oh, it's like, Oh, he's taking that line or, Oh, she's, she's, going a little bit to the right like that. Oh, I never thought about that. And so riding with somebody who's better than you, I mean, that's a great way to improve skills. Um, and, and doing so in a non-race setting is very appropriate. Um, I mean, I was following following your wheel in the, in the race, right? Like I was like, we've get some technical section, like, all right, Adam's going to the front. So I feel good (laughs) just back here. I'll let him, you know, pick the line and, you know, it, and it was, it, it worked really well. You know, I think like you, you've got that experience and, and had that background and, and that's what you're, what you're looking for, you know, in, in training and racing is like, go ride with people that are going to show you how this can be more efficient. Right. And, yeah. and, and that'll kind of trickle down to the way that you approach things too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, for the record, I love the technical bits in this race. I thought they were awesome. I was very fatigued at the end of it. And so when they kept on coming, I was like, gosh, cause it, it yeah. still costs <laughs> me more than like, you know, cruising down some pavement. 
so I loved it. It's it, but I mean, it was a lot and it, and it even tested me. And I, and I would say I would rank myself pretty, pretty proficient in technical terrain. And so yeah. for others that are not, you know, it, it costs you more physiologically. And then the other bit that you talked about was, um, it, you know, if you're not technically proficient, you won't be able to capitalize on all the fitness that training that you did. The other reason is because if you're moving in a group together, like you, you were like with the top women and, and we were all mm. kind of together for a bit. Um, right. if you hit a technical section and, and you can't keep up with everybody in that group, you drop by, and it's not even a fitness related thing at that point, mm -hmm. you get separated mm -hmm. from the group and you can't, it, this didn't happen to you, but then in a scenario like that, you can't reach that group anymore. You right. know? So that's where the, the your race is kind of not as optimized in that yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's happened to me before, you know, and, and I think to other athletes as well. And it's, it's really disheartening because you're like, I felt so strong going into this, but you know, now I'm in no man's land. Right. And I'm, burning all this energy and going nowhere. Right. And so much of these, yeah. these races are so long and so hard. And there's so many sections that it's hard to find yeah. speed and time on, right. If you can't spend time in the group and stay within those groups during these big, hard, gnarly off-road races, you're going to be out there a lot longer it's going to hurt a lot more and, and morale is going to go way down. And, and I think like, you know, when you talk about some of these races and, and the ups and downs, it's like, it's so key to keep that morale high. And sometimes all you need is that wheel to follow. Right. So you don't work on your skills. I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways that can hurt you, you know, yeah. from a lot of different directions. Yep. Yeah. And my last thing that I'll say on that is, if, if you are someone who can identify with, I, I need to work on my skills, be willing to sacrifice, you know, one day a week mm -hmm. of non-fitness training, meaning, okay, I, my fitness is good. I'm a good hill climber, but I'm going to take this one day to ride some technical stuff because that's the other feedback I get from some of my athletes is I don't get the same TSS. I don't get the same volume. I don't get the same, like, all the things, right. <laughs> that we normally all track is endurance all nerds. Over, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, you know, so it's a hard selling point to be like, okay, but if you do this, it, you will get something in the future that is more powerful than all those mm -hmm. metrics. Right. Right. Uh, right. So for our listeners here is just know that you gotta, you gotta work on stuff that you can't measure in order to get a better result that mm -hmm. I would argue could be measured just by the sheer podium or the time or the, the real feel on the day. And that's yeah. super important to me. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, my last point is, and I, I feel like kind of a broken record sometimes cause I've, we talked about race day fueling on this yeah. podcast before, but this, this can be, your greatest success on the day, regardless of how good that your technical training was, your hill climb mm -hmm. training was or anything like that. So, um, from a race day fueling standpoint, Madison, like, I don't know, how, how would you, how would you rank this on a scale of one to 10 in, in the way of importance? Um, I'm just gonna, I'm going to call it a 10 cause, uh, cause I think like, again, like if we're talking, you know, I, I use these, you know, all sorts of terms all the time, but it's like, accessing your fitness or like harnessing your fitness that yeah. you have 
you like you have to build that, but in order to access it to its fullest extent, there are certain things that you absolutely must do. And fueling is that number one, right? Because if, if you don't get the hydration and nutrition dialed, it doesn't matter, really won't ultimately matter what your FTP is because you won't be able to ride anywhere close to that at hour right. six, right? Or seven. Yeah. And yeah. and I think like it's it's paramount, right? I think it's a it's a ten out of ten. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, to that end is let's just say your, you know, your fitness is medium and your hydration is terrible. Well, <laughs> you're going to ride terrible, right? That's another kind of way of, of saying it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no magical recipe there. And there's within the context of this podcast, in fact, go back and, and listen to our, um, gravel nutrition podcast because we go through some details on that um but in the context of this podcast we won't get into the particulars because the particulars are you need to suss this out in training to get your fueling game plan dialed it needs to come way before race day Mm -hmm. but madison i'm guessing you've seen it where athletes maybe like asking you like the night before or like a couple days what should i eat coach what should i eat on saturday yeah Right. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's tough to have that conversation. And it, I think like at that point, like it's, it's too little too late, right? Like you've, yeah. you, you really, like you said, like you have to do it in training. And if you've got a plan that you've already been working on and, and maybe it's not perfect, like that's still your plan, right? Like don't throw the book out the window and try to change a bunch of things right before the race or, or do something that you haven't been doing, right? Because I think that more often than not, that's going to open you up for, uh, you know, GI problems, other issues, right, that might come up. Um, But this is something that you do months in advance, right? And, you know, I think with my my athletes and, and yours, I'm sure, too, it's like it's a constant thing you're covering. You know, it's like, what did you eat and drink today, right? Because we know that this, this carbohydrate intake, you know, hydration piece to things as well, right? It's, it's so critical for maintaining performance, right? And I, and I think it's, it, and this is the other thing, I think making sure that you sort of have the opportunities to do it in training, like build training sessions where like, you don't even really need to worry about what the power is, like practice the fueling piece, right? Like, you know, I've had athletes ask me, oh, this ride wasn't that hard. Uh, my power wasn't that high. So I didn't, I didn't eat that much, right? Or I didn't, I didn't eat as much as I normally would for a four or five hour ride. But, you know, I'd come back and, and argue, well, yeah, like the intensity wasn't that high, but this is an opportunity to train your gut to handle that, right? To treat it like a gut training session, right? Like the power doesn't have to be high, for you to train that piece of things, right? Yep. So this is something you can do whenever, right? Regardless of what the session is, because if you don't train your gut, just like you train your body to handle the effort, then it's gonna, it's gonna fight back on that, right? On race yep. day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. And, you know, uh, I talked with Coop, um, on a pack podcast lately, just how trainable the gut is. And yeah. you can, you can train your gut at zone two. You can train your gut at zone four. 
hard at zone five and above, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, train it, train it all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, in base, keep fueling there, but I'd say back to those fatigue resistant workouts that we just talked about, um, mm-hmm. you know, a couple hours, normalized power of tempo that those are great sessions to put in, you know, race day fuel and see how that's going to, uh, how that's going to fit because that's race day intensity. And mm-hmm. you'll want to know, um, you know, how your body responds to that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. And I think, and I think that's, that's a great point is like having those specific sessions where it's like, not only are you tailoring them from a specificity standpoint on the physical side or the physiological side, but also on the fueling side too, right? Because when you, when you are on, on, in that race situation and, and it's getting later and later and, and you've had to go hard, you know, or put those efforts in your sort of ability to fuel is challenged in those moments. Right. And if you're not challenged similarly in training, um, I don't, I don't think you're going to respond to that quite as well. Right. Like if, if you don't have that same, you know, the struggle, we all know the struggle is like, we're like going cross-eyed, but we got to get the gel down. Right. You know, or like we're in the middle of an interval. That's one thing I do with my athletes, you know, as I tell them, like, I say, Hey, like, actually take the gel in the middle of the interval, right? Don't always wait until in between during the recovery periods. Cause you're not always going to have that luxury, you know, in a race It's like, you got to stay on some sort of schedule. Um, and, and you know, if you go 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes that's too long, you know, without taking yep. anything in. Yep. Yeah. That's it, a really good point too. And, and, um, the schedule, I, I, I'd say start with whatever reminds you to do that. And I, I would hate to give this recommendation, but I do have some athletes that use like the beeper thing right. on their garment. It drives me <laughs> bonkers, man. Um, and I could never do that, but, um, <laughs> whatever it takes to remind you do it, mm-hmm. get to a point where you don't have beeps and dings and dongs going off, but like, mm-hmm. but then stay on that schedule. And I think that that is really important because late in the day you're so depleted anyway you're gonna have to put it in unless you're getting some sort of feedback of you know you want to bar for something like that obviously don't be shoving down a gel in that situation but right usually those problems arise because you're not putting in on a regular basis mm-hmm. so you get habituated through training on what you need to do and maximizing the total calories via carbohydrate per hour is the way to do that but that all has to be sussed out in a training session for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, final, final question, Madison on, especially on like race day fueling, but is it, yeah. are we packs or are we bottles team pack or team <laughs> bottle? <laughs> yeah, this is such a, such a hot topic. Um, and it, it's you know, it right comes now. up, it's, hot. it's it, it, you know, and, and I think whether you're, you know, whatever, no matter what level you're at too, it's like all the, you know, all the pro guys are arguing about it too, you know, and they're all like, ah, you know, like I don't want to use a pack or I'll use bottles or for whatever reason or another. Um, I've gone back and forth. And again, I think like my initial, like, you know, like I said, I'm coming from this like roadie background and my initial response to like using like a hydration pack was kind of to turn up my nose at it a little bit and be like, ah, like, I don't need that. Like, I don't want some heavy thing on my back weighing me down. Like, I'm just going, going in the cages. Right. But I've, I've definitely come around and I, I think I'm, I'm pretty firmly in team pack at this point. Um, because I've seen both sides of like 
using it and not and what it what it's allowed me to do and what it doesn't. And so yeah, I, I think I'm I'm team pack and I noticed I noticed you didn't have one uh in the race and you were rolling just bottles. Um and I know you were refilling at some at some stations here and there. Um so yeah, you were you were kind of full you were team bottles or yeah. like how did you were did you go through that process of trying to figure out what you wanted to do? Yeah, I, as team bottles, man, and um, spoiler alert to everybody, Madison crossed the finish line before I did. So <laughs> it was pretty close too. It was pretty. I think it was a couple, maybe a couple minutes or something like that. Right? Yeah, it was. It was pretty close. But I, I think yeah. this this is actually goes back in some like of the logistics and the in the planning. Um, right. Overall, I was pretty planned. I had some uh, some feeds out there. Kristen was out there uh, doing some That's feeds cool. for like my. Uh, I had some athletes and friends and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. we were really fortunate in that way. Um, and she crushed it by the way. She's like best awesome. aid station yeah. support person in the world. And, um, but like I was, I was ripping through fluids more than I thought. And I wanted to keep that going. And when we were all together, it, I had to stop because I was pretty out and I didn't know what was coming. Cause it was, it was like halfway through or something. And we were rolling with that group of the yeah. lead ladies. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like I was feeling good. I was rolling. But to your point is they kept on throwing curveballs left and right. And we had, yeah. I don't know, it was like 13 or 15 miles. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, that's doable on, you know, maybe a third of a bottle. And I had a couple gels and they were SIS. So I was like, okay, total content. I could get through this. But I was like, man, mm -hmm. if they throw more curveballs, that's going to be way longer. And, yeah. I, I know if I stay on my hydration nutrition, I'm good for the long run. Mm -hmm. How it, so I stopped on that fast downhill to get more water yeah. and more things like right. this. And, and the reason I communicate all this to everybody listening, hopefully still is because I dropped from that fast group mm -hmm. and I could never bridge back up. Now, if I would have had a pack in that scenario, and we talked about having a pack, like picking it up at the like halfway point, And I would have had it at that point. Um, I could have stayed in that group and probably had, you know, a faster time or probably a more enjoyable time because at, at some point I was riding solo, unmotivated and woe is me. I'm, I'm <laughs> so tired yeah, right now. I've been there, um, I've been there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it'll probably be something that we can talk about, uh, for, podcasts to come but um right. but yeah packs and bottles you got to figure out what's going to make the most sense for everybody and, and i think that we're at a point where you know uh the way that they're making packs these days and uh from a cooling standpoint the accessibility standpoint yeah it's you could probably do that and go longer without having to stop which yeah, maybe you should have done right so yeah and, th and that was kind of my you know my my thought around it was like you know i i want options Right. Like I, yeah. I want to be deep in that, in that ride. And if I have the group, like, I don't want to have to leave it until the last possible second. And I think it's like, it's hard to say what's going to happen. I think in this case, like it really worked out for me because I stayed in the group as long as I could. We hit the sort of point where the group blew up. And from there I was pretty much out and I was stopping and taking bottles, but I got the free ride all the way up to that point. You know, yeah. or I had the benefit of riding in the group up to that point. I also lost a bottle early on, right? And so yeah. that's another, another thing that point. can happen is, is you know, I saw bottles strewn all over the place, you know, in the first half of this ride, right? And so it's like I had the pack on, I lost a bottle, 
for a second, I was like, ah, oh, dang, like I lost that. And then I was like, nope, I've got plenty, right? Like I can keep rolling for a long time still because I have this pack. So I think for me, and especially if you don't have someone helping you at aid stations, right? Like you don't have the aid, you don't have the support, right? We were in San Diego. My girlfriend, Allie was there. She was giving me bottles. She helped out a ton, like same, same thing at that race. I didn't wear a pack, right? Yep. At this one, I did because I'm kind of out there solo and like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. So I just want as many options and I want to be able to go as long, as long as I can. Right. And, and not have to lose the group, you know, in that, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this conversation, I mean, again, it's, it's for anybody at any speed at any finish time because it plays into the overall logistics. And I'd say for this race too, the other thing I kind of, you know, relearned or was reminded of is how technical it was. There was some times in there where I was like pumping through on the cross bike. I'm like, man, I could really use a drink right now, but like, didn't have my pack. Right. I I, could have throw it in real quick. And that's the other thing to plan on. The more technical it is, the pack is probably the better way to go. The more road centric something is. And if you have feeds, probably don't have to. So all things to consider. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just all part of that planning piece. Right. You know, and I think like also the, the training piece, it's like, I, you know, I was running it in training or I did training sessions with the pack. And that's something I've had athletes do too. It's like actually go out and wear it. And like experience what it's like to like take hydration from that. Um, but I think it just, you know, that just folds into that bigger piece of like, because these events are so dynamic, they're so crazy. Anything can get thrown at you at any time, like Mm -hmm. having that plan and checking off every single thing. Like if you're going to roll bottles, like be confident in that decision and, and roll them. Right. But practice that and train. And same thing with the pack. Like if that's what you want to do, like that's, that might be a great option, but you need to sort of plan for that. Right. And like experience that in training and, and, you know, what are you going to bring in the pack or what are you going to bring in the bottles? You know, all these things, like it's, it's just the preparation piece. Right. And because these events are so crazy, it's like, it requires a lot of planning, Right. And preparation. Yep. Yep. Full stop, man. Full stop. And speaking of stop, we should probably, uh, we should probably stop this podcast, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> not, not right. without a good summary here first, Madison. So yeah. Yeah. I'd say to take this thing home, you know, it, it, doing what we do as coaches, I mean, we get to see all the comments on training peaks. We get to see the power files. We get to have the conversations with athletes afterwards. And I mean, it does seem like these quote epic events are, uh, getting more and more epic and it's, and it's drawn the crowds, right? Um, it's, it's a good challenge, L- long days, hard climbs, more s- technical yeah. single track, and it's getting a little, little gnarly, but you know, don't, don't think that you can skimp on the hill climb training or that single track training because, um, you need to, you need to focus and prepare yourself as best you can. Right. And yeah. I think we covered some of those aspects of how best to do that, you know, whether it is, you know, the physiology training or the technical training, um, but it, it, it comes down to doing the actual work of that. And I, I don't know anything that you want to add to the summary aspect of what we talked about today. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I think like, because like we said, because these events are only getting gnarlier because they're throwing so many different things at you over the course of this 
race. It's like you need to sort of combat that by checking all those boxes in training, right? So it's it's looking at all the components that make the race that could affect your performance, right? Like the technical side, the tactical side, the nutrition side, the physical side. Like look at those main pillars that might affect the outcome of your race and check them all off in training, right? Every week, like all of them, right? Like there should yeah. be, like you said, like one ride focused just on skills, right? Every week have some aspect of what you're doing focused on every single one of those things, right? And when you get there, then then you don't have to worry about it as much, right? You know, you, you've yeah. done it, you know, and you've been prepped for it, right? And you can just go out there and ride hard, right? And you've got the plan dialed. Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about these kind of final summary points, I guess this is a summation of what we talked about um, in total, but a, a bit, little bit of a new thought is, you know, a lot of these gravel and ultra endurance stuff, it, you have to be sort of a jack of all trades out there, yeah. you know, with, you know, not the best hill climber, but pretty darn good at hill climbing, not the best technical sender of sorts, but mm -hmm. not bad at it either. You have to be very dialed on nutrition, all these things, right? So in your training, you know, if you're looking at all those components, as you said, just checking the boxes of all these different pillars, you really become, you know, a generalist, but that is kind of optimizing yourself for more ultra endurance cycling events, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that's, that's so key. It's like, you can't, you can't have a one track mind, you know, it comes to, to performing in these things. Yeah. You gotta you kind of cover all your bases, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it, man. Well, um, Madison, if, if, if our audience, if they want to connect more with you, uh, where do they, where do they find you? Yeah. Yeah. So you can look me up, um, on Instagram. It's MWA Russell. Um, and you can also find me on our CTS coaches, um, bio pages. Um, yep. Check out my background there and, uh, yeah. Give me a shout. Cool. Well, um, and my last question is, yeah, are you taking on any athletes right now that we need to be, uh, aware of if, if an audience member reaches out to us and says, we want Madison. Yeah, absolutely. I am currently taking athletes and I'm, cool. I'm motivated to bring some people on, uh, regardless of what you're working for. Um, yeah, stoked to work with anyone and everyone. Um, we do free consultations. So, you know, even if there's just kind of the interest or the question, like happy to talk with anybody answering questions. So yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to keep working with everybody and maybe, uh, work with some people on getting ready for some of these crazy gravel events down the road. So <laughs> that's it. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks Madison. Uh, thanks for the time and thanks for going a little bit longer today than we planned. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Adam for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.